Welcome to Behind the DM Screen for August of 2021. We are three DMs helping each other out and talking about our games. I think it usually goes in the other order, but whatever. I am Jeff Greiner from The Tome Show. We also have with us uh, Mike Shea, otherwise known as Sly Flourish. Say hello, Mike. Hello. And we also have DM Samuel of RPG Musings and The Tome Show and, and the internet in general. Uh, <laughs> wow. Sam, say hello. I'm from I'm from the internet. <laughs> I'm here to help. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So we are talking about our games. I'm going to put three. No, not three. I'm going to put 15 minutes on the clock, uh, which we will then ignore. Um, so that, you know to keep us all on track. And last last month gets to be first this month. And so uh, Mike Shea, tell us about your games. All right. So I'm going to talk about my game for like three minutes. And then I have an official document that I that I wish to put on the public record of Mike Shea's grievances and accolades for Rhyme of the Frost Maiden to be debated with my good friend, uh, DM, DM Samuel, who uh, plans to defend every grievance uh, <laughs> and probably agree with the accolades. I'm not sure. So um I am running Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. I'm running it for two different groups. Uh, finally, after like 3,000 sessions, uh, we were able to get out of chapter one and move on to other parts of the game. Uh, in, we are now in the middle of chapter two. Uh, I, I, somebody, I was talking to a friend of mine today, and he said, how much are you improving and how much are you running from the adventure? And I said, probably about 50-50. That it feels like about half of what I'm putting on the table is from the adventure. Half of it is... Uh, stuff that I'm that I'm uh, that I'm bringing along, and uh, right now I'm running the Black Cabin, the 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 section of the adventure of the Black Cabin. This is a big spoiler for Rhyme of the Frostbane, by the way. And I've now run the Black Cabin tw- scene twice, and both times uh, I think it was okay. Uh, I you know I, I I have a quantitative measure of asking my wife on a scale of one to ten how much she enjoys a session, and she said an eight point five, which is pretty good. That's that's you know that's above the average that I typically get. So she kind of enjoyed it, but she's like, you know, you killed uh, poor poor Bilgum, and I'm like, well, not really. Like, yeah, he died and got disintegrated, but he came back and everything's fine. And so I've run that twice and kind of realized that I don't I don't it didn't run well for me. It didn't serve me well. And I know a lot of DMs like the Black Cabin. Uh, I've heard people that have run the Black Cabin in really interesting ways. The key premise of the Black Cabin, again, full of spoilers, is that uh, you go in, you're, you're looking for this dude named Macratus. You you go in there. Uh, there's a big abandoned cabin. There's a bunch of signs he was around, but he's not there. And then there's a burned skeleton on the ground. And there's like a weird object sitting on a table. And if you go dork with the object, you can take 45 to 90 points of damage. And uh, if it drops you to zero, you're disintegrated. And then suddenly you show up in the ethereal plane and there's Macratus who also got disintegrated. And then you and whoever else died, that Macratus and whoever else died has to somehow communicate with the other party to tell them how to fix the device. And when they fix it, then they are essentially resurrected. Um, I had a few issues with this, which is like, why does the device even resurrect people? Right? Like that it, it, there is, there's sort of a lot of heavy mechanics that are laid on this scene. Uh, but there's not a lot of like in world, at least that I kind of grabbed onto, sort of in world stuff about how this thing actually operates. So when I was trying to explain to the players about what they could do and what they could figure out by reading his blueprints and doing it, you know, the book has like this step by step list of mechanical thing, you know, game mechanic things they can do, but not a lot of like how does this thing even operate. So I had to make up a bunch. Like why are there three rings and what, what is the third, what's the, third what's thing this actually? Device? Do? Describe it. It's called the Summer Star. It's like a, a a block of weird ore in the center, and then these metallic rings around the outside that have little glyphs on them. And if you it's do like detect, a gy- it's a gyroscope yeah. type thing. And if you and if you do detect magic on it, the magic that come back comes off of it is really really dim, like dim magic, right? It doesn't it doesn't show itself. Like you'd think, like if this thing is going to blow people up and you do detect magic on it, a lot of magic could be coming off of this. But experienced players know, like, wow, there's a weird object and a skeleton on the floor. I, I best not touch it, right? And the reality is, and this is, gets, leads into my grievances, you're probably better off not doing anything there. 
right? It, you're better off with the character showing up, seeing that, going, yeah, let's let's get back down to town, right? Because you don't really gain anything, right? There's no, there's no. I mean, you can you can sort of get this weird buff that gives everybody ten hit points, which is frankly overpowered on its own. So well, if you fix the summer star, you can affect the weather for a five mile diameter dome basically can you make the sun show up well you affect the weather so if they're tra like for example my party used it when they were traveling trying to yeah. get up to zardarok's fortress quickly they cast it so they could move a lot faster because the weather was really bad yeah and so That's when a good they point. cast yeah. it they they were able to move at a higher mm -hmm. rate and since it was still active when they were traveling then after the dragon flew out they were faster to get down to the towns to try to fight the dragon right yeah and right so i actually and i'm kind of putting a different spin on what the object does all right i'm saying that it's the summer star it creates sunlight and the fact that you know I, I decided like what does this thing actually do and it was like it emanates sunlight so it's like okay the problem is it's uncontrolled okay but but you don't get to, you can't like i'm not complaining blast about the, me, you yeah, can't me. blast it for yes not doing something when you're actually right. just no you're right it does it does let you control weather and all it takes is getting disintegrated in order to get an object that controls weather. That seems like a fair trade. So, the, well, <laughs> you know, so I didn't say that part was good. I just, <laughs> I just said, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so we'll, the weird we'll bit about, it. yeah, the weird bit about the scene is like, sure, there's an object, and with a single fail, with pretty much even a successful save, like my character, the character that picked it up successfully saved, took 45 damage, only had 43 hit points, it was still disintegrated even on a save. So it's a lethal thing, even if you potentially lethal even if you save but then it's like well so so it gives this shock factor of hey you you just got a character disintegrated and but then kind of also weasels out by saying well if you fix this thing they can be resurrected and then they're fine and it was a little you know it's kind of like there's not really a threat but there's like this shock value threat right it's 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 weird of them to make something that's really hard and really dangerous and then kind of back way off on it. And then, by the way, you get free. Everybody gets like free free hit points at the end. Right. And so the, the this this led running this and playing out this scene. And, yeah, you're right, Sam. Like, so, yeah, the object of it does something. If you go through this, you do get you get you clear, you get clear benefits. And and my changing it is obvious. I'm not complaining about the things that I changed, obviously. Um, but, yeah, I, I looked at it and said, OK, I want the summer star to have like a to be a key. Right. I want it to be an important thing that ties to the rest of the story. And so in my story, the uh, the the um, the caves of hunger are completely frozen over. There's like tiny little cracks that Tech Lili, the vampire Knoll, and his vampire kobolds can like turn into sturges and fly through. Uh, but no one else can get in there. And the characters know this, but now they've got a thing that can create sunlight. They can activate it there and it will melt the whole icy wall and get them into the Caves of Hunger. So now this device is a thing that they needed in order to progress further in the story later on, right? And... As I was, so I, you know, I, I, I've been complaining all the time about chapter one and now I'm in chapter two and I have a whole different set of complaints about chapter two. And I went into my discord channel where I complained about it and Sam was there to, to uh, enjoy my, my rants. I think I probably summoned him so I could hold him personally responsible for my grievances. <laughs> and um, but what I thought was particularly interesting is Sam, Sam said it's it, it actually fell down on my list of of the total adventures to like number bot the you know the second worst one, and it's Sam said it was his second favorite one, is that right? Mm -hmm. And I thought that's a really interesting thing, right? It's interesting for two experienced smart DMs who both run <laughs> lots and lots of games and think about this all the time to have such a diametrically opposed view of the same adventure. And then I said, well, okay, well, let me let me actually just like try to write down the things that make it drop it so low on my list. And then we discuss these, but not wanting to be a complete schmuck. I said, I don't want to just do the grievances. I also want to talk about like things that I that I like. Uh, so I thought I would use the rest of my ample time here to uh, go through that, go through those those lists and see what see what you know, what everybody, what everybody has to say, but you know, Sam and, and, and Jeff and everybody else. So, and then Sam, you can tell me where like, I'm dead wrong. Uh, number one, eight out of the 10 starting quests can wipe out first level characters and offer no warnings. 
Okay, so I'll ask you a question. How do you give warnings to your PCs in the game? Does the I, module I, I, have to say, yes. warn the players no. that this is very dangerous? But it would be nice if it told me, this 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 adventure, this, this quest is very likely to kill a first level character. The majority of quests in chapter one have a way to get out of the quest without actually fighting. They they have well I'll have to go back and look piece by piece but in many cases like you you could but like they're throwing you up against verbeegs and yetis a and couple I, of them and, are and a, couple of them, a couple of them two winter wolves <laughs> right but you don't fight those winter wolves they convince you to follow them and then and, then, and when you get there you don't even have to fight the mammoth that's there either because you can use a, a DC twelve charisma check to calm the mammoth down. Make me look at it. When you try to leave the place, the the wolves attack you. It feels like to me that Rhyme um, in many ways is evoking like an old school play of, uh, style of D&D, right? The, the, the here's some really hard encounters, but if you're fighting, you kind of did them wrong. And the here's a here's this weird thing. And if you touch it, you're just dead. Like, it, the, you know, you can be saved, but it yeah. doesn't matter. You know, that, that's all that all st- feels very like first edition to me that feels like old school like tomb of horrors well so the thing is that so like my player that picked it up and touched it didn't die yeah i had two that both did i mean you know at 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 fourth level right they could be Mm -hmm. conceivably fourth level and they do it 45 hit points is a lot for a fourth level character right Uh, and i'm not saying that i'm just saying like 90 is way higher (laughs) i'm just saying that because you know it it's it is deadly. That is true. It's deadly, and it's true that a lot of the first level quests can be deadly, especially for first level characters. But you only do one of those, and then you're second level, and you only do two more, and then you're third level. Right. Right. That so gets my 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 second one. Well, so well, ho- hold on. So so, but so I, I guess. Keys, by the way. All right. So <laughs> well, I know, but this is we're melding your and my time because this is all I'm talking about too. All so. right. Cool. <laughs> okay. Okay, so that so that's my response to you about number one. I disagree with you about number one. I think it's a feature, not a bug, that those are deadly. And Does yes, it's, it's the yeah. it's the responsibility of the DM to to transmit the clues about how deadly these things are, and the players need to figure out that they don't have to fight every single thing that they can parlay, they can negotiate, they can bribe, or they can run away. Does it say that? The quests are, I mean, well, so for example, the mammoth. It does say it in chapter the, two. That's why I bring it up. The, the mam in the mam in each individual quest, it tells you the options, right? Like, are you telling me that they're not going to try to talk to the sea monster after sitting out in a boat yeah, for like four hours? Yeah, the sea monster is one of the ones right? I consider to probably be doable for the, first level characters. Right, and e- even the one with the winter wolves, the mammoth, you can calm it down. The, the, it's right in there that you can calm it it's down. It's the wolves. So, it's the wolves that are the deadly part. Okay, but I'm, I'm just saying, like, it's written in a way that you could absolutely, as the DM, see those stats and and find a way to transmit that information to your party that they're dangerous. Yeah. So in, in chapter two, in the beginning, it has a section on character advancement and it says, although this chapter is designed for fourth level and higher, some of its random encounter locations are more dangerous than others. The characters might need to run away and regroup or or take short or long rest between encounters if they're going to survive. It mm-hmm. doesn't say that in chapter one. It doesn't offer any I mean, advice. I, hey, watch I, out for the Winter Wolves. Okay, but um, if your characters, I mean, it's D and D. Lots of creatures help. are deadly. Give me a little, give me a little help here for my fifty bucks. So the other one is <laughs> they, thirteen quests. Well, well, thirteen hold, quests. Hold, hold on there, one. Mike, because as written, yeah. none of those are the adventures, the quests you would be doing at first level anyway. There are the two opening yeah, intro any quests. Any no. Ah, well, let's get to that part yeah, cause, because cause, people are people argue both sides of that. But the uh, uh, all of those quests are intended that all of those quests could potentially be done at first level. Every one of them. Yes, they are. They are. That is true. They are presented as start in a town. It it tells you when you run the first chapter to have Flynn the bodyguard give them the cold open, or to have the the Twinga cold open with what is her name Danica or whatever. Give them the cold open, and also expect that they're going to do the starting quest in whatever town you're in. So whichever one they decide to do first, whether it's the cold open quest or the so it depends on what town you put them in. That is true. Most of most of my memory from that from chapter one was playtesting it, and things have. You know what? What you're told to do in a playtest is different than how the book actually runs sometimes. So, 
Uh, most of chapter two locations have no connection, no purpose, and no useful reward. The book offers no guidance for tying any of these locations to any sort of central plot. Okay, by the time you get to chapter two, you have been around 10 towns and you've learned about the people, you've heard a bunch of rumors. The chapter two locations are there because they're thematic and there's a living world outside of the towns. The NPC interaction is how you learn about those places. And not every single thing in the book has to be a direct connection to the main plot. Some of them <laughs> Hardly are. any of them are. <laughs> well, because the DM is supposed to do it based on the activities of the players, right? You're supposed to – it. like, for example, I left Rebel's End out of my game, right? I right. could have just as easily put Rebels End in there, and I could have had Velen Harpel tell my players, hey, we have to go to Rebels End. We have to go find this prison because Valish Gant has some information about the right. Mithalar or yep. about Ithrin or about That's something. exactly what I'm doing, right. right? That, that there's so lots I, of right. – Right. And so there's so much information in there, okay, and they don't make all the connections with you because it's meant to be open enough that you – they don't say you have to do – this specific quest and this specific quest and this specific quest in chapter one or chapter right. two. They purposefully did that. So the fact that they left those without a main connection and left the DM to do it, again, for me, that's a feature, not a bug. Mm -hmm. So I, I disagree with that assessment. I, I wish they are, they are thematic, safe. but – Right. It doesn't offer anything saying, hey, you know what you can do is you can drop bits of information in all these locations to tie to the main plot. Nothing. About well, that. you know, you know, my thought on that, that I wanted I, I wish they would cut 20 pages of adventure from the thing and and sprinkle advice and tips and possibilities and options throughout. You know, that's my standing. That's been my standing from the beginning. However, they didn't do that. And we can't talk about the text they didn't write. We have to talk about the text you spent 50 bucks on. Right. And so. What I'm saying, though, is even in this text that we spent 50 bucks on, because I bought mine as well, okay, there's it's there's still enough there for you as the DM to make those connections. For me, that's not a big deal. For me, that's yeah. a feature because it means that wherever my players go, I can make sure they get clues. And it doesn't – I don't have to restrict them from going somewhere because I – because the, the clues aren't there, so to speak. I can just make sure that where they go, I put clues there. That's a feature, not a bug. Yeah, and that's exactly – I mean – Putting, putting secrets where the characters go is how I obviously run my games, right? Right. It'd be nice if it helped if it helped to do that. It'd be nice if it, if it did a little thing there for it. I, it uh, doesn't bother me as much as you, so I disagree with that one as well. So number numbers one and two now, <laughs> I've disagreed with you. So next. <laughs> Chapter one is three times bigger than it ought to be. But you don't do all the quests. You're, you only need to do... Let's see, what are there, 13, 14? There's, then there's some that they don't even call quests, there's, right? There's, there's some that they don't even call, but of, of, of defined quests, yeah. there are 13 of them. It's right, like there's, there's, like, there's, there's like 13 written quests, and then there's like five different quests that are actual quests that you could grab onto if the players find it interesting and go after that thing, that there aren't actually quests, right? Um, so there's like 18 different options, plus the two cold opens, right? So... So like there's all there's all these things right so so there's like fifteen or eighteen quests or something but you're not doing them all you only have to do five quests to get done with chapter one and move to chapter two right that's a lot so, of material to leave on the table but the, yeah except well so okay but it's meant to be that way so that <laughs> so that you can run it like it's a living world right you again you're not telling the players you have to go to this town then this town then this town you're letting them experience the world and you can get some replayability it's it's like uh storm king's thunder oh, where there's three there's three routes and you go <laughs> the one last thing i want to do is run this again oh right sure but but some people will let me put it this way i'm not saying you're running it again but if they had structured chapters one and two instead of calling it chapter one and two here are all these quests if they had said here's a gazetteer for icewind dale and chapter one is the gazetteer for the 10 towns and chapter two is the gazetteer for the region around between 10 towns and the glacier and the spine of the world. If they structured as a gazetteer and they did it like they did Dragon Heist and said, hey, here's a gazetteer. If you have them do five quests around 10 towns, you can level them up, you know, do, do a quest and level them up and then do two more and level them up and do three more and level them up. Now you can go to a chapter two and do the gaz, you know, check out the gazetteer for the for the region of Icewind Dale. And then they can do five quests in there and now you level them up again and now they're ready for the rest of the adventure 
If they had structured it like a gazetteer or an intraridion or whatever they've called them in past products, would that make a difference to you? I, I think the difference would be that they could drop, they could probably take uh, quote unquote adventures like Toil and Trouble and turn it into two paragraphs of text. And and that would be the equivalent of a gazetteer. Give me enough to say there's been there's a hag that's been hanging around around East Haven for a while, and she kidnapped some fishermen and she ate them, right? And, okay. the, and the town folk are wondering where they are. Okay, but so when it, you so, give me like a whole map, right? Like right, think but, about the money that it takes yeah, to make yeah, these but, maps that I'm not okay, going to use. But, but the point the point still stands. Now, what if they took the gazetteer portions the way you're talking about, and they made that chapter one, and yeah. then chapter two was by the way, here's some more structured quests if you want to use these, right? You can fit these in. And but the but the first chapter is a gazetteer of the region and of the towns, and there you go. Because essentially that's what they've done. It's just that they didn't call it that. Well, but it's it's too much material for that, right? Like a gazetteer because, doesn't have individual maps for every location. No, but for a bunch, bunch of ones I'm not gonna use. Right, but okay, so there's a gas there's a gazetteer uh, for Baldur's Gate in in Avernus right. and there's one uh for like water dungeon Did maps you go to every building in Waterdeep? How many how many dungeon maps are in those Enteridians? I don't None. know. I, Zero. I, I, I'm just saying like a gazetteer doesn't just have the information right. you use, it's like a little mini setting guide. Yes. And that's basically what chapters one and two. What I'm hearing Sam describe is basically he's comparing it to the the chapter where you do all the faction quests in Dragon Heist. Um, the, yeah, but, also but I think the point Mike is making <laughs> is that on those, it was like, here's a table. And in this single half page table, here's 10 quests. And that's all the information we got. They didn't put together maps and they didn't, they didn't flesh it out. Defending it by talking about chapter two of Dragon Heist doesn't work because chapter two of Dragon Heist is also a mess. Well, I'm not, <laughs> right? I'm, <Yes>. I'm, <laughs> I'm not, I just used it as an example because I I know it does some kind of questioning. I mean, like right? talking about it compared to the Waterdeep and Sheridian, right? That that back chapter that talks mm -hmm. about all of it, and yeah. the Baldur's Gate description that's in Descent and Avernus. Like, yeah, my my wife makes the same point. Like, what if this was a setting book and not an adventure? How would we feel then? But a, right. the answer is it's an adventure because it has a plot. It has the endless night. It has Oral mm -hmm. walking around. It's got uh, Duergar that are going to attack right. the city. It's got a plot. Well, so do the other store, the adventures. They both have plots. Which ones are we? Which ones are we talking about? Dragon, Dragon Heist, and Descent both have plots too. Right. Yeah. And and if they had right, so if they had said, "Hey, we're going to have descriptions of each of the ten towns," but here's the beginning of the adventure, and here's you know, and and run it like my my favorite adventure, which they ran at the same time, and that they often compare it to Dragon of Icebar Peak, and say, "Here are three quests you get at first level. Once they do two, you dump the third, and you offer offer the next set of three quests." If they had broken it out that way. I'd actually be able to use more of the material they've got. The characters would still have choices about the direction they can go. And more importantly, I would have guidance about which adventures I should offer when instead of, you. I don't know, here's 13, you figure it out. I, I'm just saying, like, there. I, I think, yeah, anyway, we can move on to the next one. I mean, I, I think I think we've, we've both made more, our and points. And we're a good right? 10 minutes past Mike's time. Should I start Sam's time? <laughs> Yeah, start my time. Okay, fine. let me let me uh, take a quick break then, uh, while we wait to hear more of Mike's gripes. To let you know about our sponsor, Galder's Gazetteer, they have advanced rules for that you can plug right into your D and D game, and all kinds of stuff, adventures and subclass options, and all kinds of stuff to support those advanced rules. Uh, all the proceeds from it go to uh, to, to fight cancer through cancer research um, uh, because of the the story around that. Um, and there will be links in the at the tomeshow.com in the show notes, sort of showing where you can get it and what the where you can find out more about the story of why this is going to cancer research. The wizard Galder has traveled to many, many worlds. Along his journey, he took notes on the mysterious and fantastic things he encountered. Many of the secrets he learned are chronicled now in Galder's Gazetteer, published by Zipperon Games. Galder's Gazetteer is a 5th edition D&D supplement that is an advanced expansion of the game rules, including new actions, conditions, and martial options that are all fully integrated into new classes, archetypes, ancestries, feats, spells, and DM tools, plus adventures for both 5th and 15th level to highlight these advanced rules options. Galder's Gazetteer was inspired by a gamer named Lawrence, who is dying of a rare form of cancer and wanted his character to be remembered in the annals of D&D lore. 100% of the proceeds for this book are donated to the Cancer Research Institute. 
You can find Galder's Gazetteer at drivethroughrpg.com at the regular price of $35 for a PDF or $47 for a print-on-demand physical copy. You can find more about Lawrence's story at lawrencescampaign.blog. Check out the show notes for links. All right, that is the the sponsor bit. I'm going to start the 15 minutes for Sam's time so we can continue to hear Mike's rant. All right, Mike, what's your next one? Ah, uh, the town speakers are murdering their own citizens, which makes me not want to help them. Okay, I wrote an entire blog post about uh, that. Yeah, but how is it in the book? Did, did, did you write a blog post because you like it? No, I wrote a blog post explaining to people why it makes sense or why somebody who's a lawful good speaker would be okay with murdering their citizens with with allowing a sacrifice because des uh, okay it's a whole blog post i'm not going to read it on air but like there are reasons for the speakers even though they are supposedly of good alignments to support trying to appease an evil god in a world where the gods actually have manifestations and activities on the planet with the people, they see her flying around casting the spell to make them in an everlasting winter. And if if possible, if they do a lottery and sacrifice people, the good of the many outweighs the good of the one. They are – yes, sacrifice is horrible. They're not happy about it, but they're doing what they feel is necessary to try to allow most of their people to survive. Uh, does it work? No. Uh, do they, when, how long do they have to sacrifice people before they realize their sacrifices aren't doing anything? I don't know. Being, being smart people. <laughs> but th- notice that's not a major cornerstone of the book. So, like, well, so I, what I mean, and this is one that I didn't run it as is, so I don't know how it actually plays out. But as soon as I read that, I'm like, none of my players are going to want to help these people at all. They're going to be like, wait a minute, you're sending citizens out to freeze to death. Why on earth would I help you? And that seems like a pretty reasonable argument to me. So I'm like, you know what? And, and I know you did this too. I'm going to put a cult of oral in there. And the cult of oral is the one that's in charge of the sacrifices. And that way I have villains that the party can hate. And it's still complicated because many well, of the citizens support them. So don't – I mean I, I put a cult of oral in there because I thought it was a good idea, not because I needed to explain why they're doing sacrifices. That was a completely separate thing. That sacrifice thing had nothing to do with my choices to put a cult in there. Yeah, you're right. It does actually make it make sense, but that's not why and I it, did that. And it, yeah, and it helps a lot with the town speakers are sort of powerless to fight against the cult of oral that has this sway on the people. Right, but so in and your yet, in your game, are you you're having the cult be the one that's doing the sacrifices? Yeah, the cults are the ones. See, I didn't do for me. I did the sacrifices as written. In fact, I did the sacrifices worse than as written because even the small towns are doing the sacrifices of humans, not food and heat. Mm-hmm. Every of the every one of the ten towns is sacrificing humans or, you know, uh, civilized folk. Right? And can't, can't imagine wanting to help them. Uh, I mean, uh, look, you know, that's I'm I'm sorry, but that just that, that sounds to me like a oh we're here for this D and D adventure. Oh, there's something horrible going on. We're just going to let those people suffer because they're yeah. You're right. What? They should murder the town speakers. <laughs> Let's go kill them. They're the ones right. sending. Their okay, own but out. what I'm okay. So, like, when my players show up, if I present them, I I told them full on how rough this adventure was going to be. None of them showed up and said, "Oh wait, there's a there's a sacrifice." I don't want to help those people. Let's play a different adventure. <laughs> We're playing D and D. Right, you're, you're playing D and D. I gave you the like, pitch for the story. Duvessa Shane wants your help, but Duvessa Shane also sends her own people out to freeze to death. You're like, maybe we should get rid of Duvessa Shane. That's va- that's valid, but to say we're not going to help the other fifteen hundred citizens of Bryn Shander because they elected Duvessa Shane and she turns out to be okay with sacrifice, like, I th- and I think that's that's the kind of story that like that chapter one evokes for me is like there's there's a there's a, a a history of movies and shows and books and whatever telling the story of people being sacrificed and it doesn't really you know history is replete with people get you know sacrificing other humans and not having any positive effect and they keep doing it anyway um you know but we don't consider the people doing the sacrifices to be the heroes or to be good people worthy of saving like those are the villains of those stories or your patrons 
Right. right. Or your those patron. are definitely the villains of those stories. But Sam is suggesting that's fine. So go after the town speakers because they're the yeah. villains. They're the ones doing this. Screw them. But, <laughs> that, but, but now we can. what we think the intention of the adventure is? No, I didn't go that far. I didn't say that. I'm just saying if my party showed up and di- you know what? My party showed up. They saw the very first thing they saw when they got to the gates of Targos was the two town guards coming out, followed by the speaker of the town saying the rights of oral and thanking them for their sacrifice because they need to now know that the rest of their family is safe because they have been sacrificed. And, you know, the little kid crying because dad's being left out in the cold and my party had a conversation about it. And the reghead tribesman said, I'm a lawful individual and if this is the law of the land, who am I to question what these speakers are doing? Interesting. Right? My, my so, thought, I did have the town, one of the town speakers did uh, conduct a sacrifice, but it was Dazan. It was when they burned Dazan mm-hmm. at East Haven. Well, even what's that, funny is my party stopped them from killing Dazan. Right. So <laughs> even in that one, my group was like, wait a minute, they did what? Right? And they were like ready to turn on all of East Haven immediately until I had to explain. Actually, Dazan murdered a bunch of people before he... This happened, right? right? And it's an execution. Like, huh, I still don't know about burning people at the stake. So I do know how they would feel about the rest of it. Num- yeah. Number five, okay. incest, incest couples in Dugan's Hole. Yeah, I, I hard agree. This is crap. They shouldn't have done that. <laughs> number six, the First trials at Grimstall suck and their timing on them makes no sense. Hard agree. And you know that for me. I've been bitching about those since the beginning that – it's stupid to have trials in there and claim, proclaim loudly, hey, hey, uh, this isn't a dream. They're really being transported really there. Happened. It's but like, then, what if I had waited five hours? Right. Would they still but, be happening? Right. But then they show up and there's like an arrow above the head of the one there. It's like a video. And then when they get done, they get transported back. You're telling me that's real? No. And then if they don't pass the trials, some freaking frogs show, show up. And open it for them anyway. That's a compl- it's so it's bad. It's bad. Those are I agree with you there. The, time, Those the timing of the Shardalon Dragon's suck. attack is a mess, and how the characters intercede doesn't work. Uh, the the Shardalon Dragon whole fight plan means you're likely to lose half of ten towns without being able to do anything about it. Yeah, I'm okay with that. That doesn't bother me. It bugs me. And I know it'll bug my group. It doesn't uh, bother me. The, the point is that this is a devastated place with really bad so individuals. Why, why don't you have it destroy all of Ten Towns then? Wouldn't that be really cool? They could have if my party had decided <laughs> to stay in the fortress and instead they chased the dragon. Oh, and they, it, it destroyed destroyed like six towns before they it's, got to it's it. It's kind of the same thing as the winter star, as a summer star. There's no opportunity to be able to do anything about it. You know, like, my party my, are going to die. Can't do anything about it. My party debated going into the fortress instead of chasing the dragon because they thought perhaps there would be like a control mechanism. some way to control it or deactivate it from inside the fortress. And so they thought maybe it's worth the time to go in there and try to do that. And I and they they chose not to. I did not influence them at all. I let them play out their entire debate and conversation, and then they chose to follow it. If they had – I probably would have let them find something. And yes, there's nothing in the written adventure that says they can do but that. But you wouldn't, you wouldn't have had to come out back. You don't find anything, and now Ten Towns is destroyed. <laughs> I probably not. Probably not. Only because I wanted their choice to matter, right? right? So right. I don't know what I would have done. Actually, I might have just let it. It depends on what would have happened in the fortress. To be honest, right. I don't know what I would have done. I, I was flying by the seat of my pants by that time because I didn't know what they were going to choose. Yeah, I have no idea how I'm running the Shardalon Dragon yet. I think I'm going to have them returning to Ten Towns and seeing it attacking the town, and then yeah. they jump in and intercede. Yeah, um, I just don't. I do, I just don't have a problem with it showing up and destroying the town because what I did was I put a whole bunch of clues in to tell them that that was on the way, right? Like they found like dragon scale shaped Shardalon in the in the Cared uh, Koenig quest. They found a little statuette of a Shardalon dragon at Dirt's place in East Haven. They found uh, the dragon's partial flight path. And then they also found a schematic that from one of the Derevar engineers that said, you know, reinforce here and here, giving them a clue of where to attack when they fought the thing. And then, you know, add some spikes for devastation. Like I, I gave them plenty of clues, so it wasn't a surprise yeah, when and that like, dragon took off. I've done more than that. I had them have visions of a Shardalon dragon destroying the Ten Towns. Yeah. So they've seen yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. That way, yeah. you know, the people are. Uh, yeah. Number eight, there's no motivation to go to Yethrin once you solve the Endless Night. Hey, let's follow that evil woman in, with the undead dog sled into, uh, into, an, evil, into an evil city. She well, seems and, now, and now you know why. So the Arcane Brotherhood is a big part of the story. 
right? I mean, they they know about Dazan if they find out from uh, Velen about um, Naslantamir, right? The Arcane Brotherhood is looking for Yithrin. I mean, those connections are super easy to make. Is the idea that you have to get there and stop Avantaris or somebody? Why why uh, do they, why do they go to Yethrin? What's the point? Velen has convinced my party that they need to go deactivate, make sure that Yithrin can never be activated, steal the Mithalar so that it can never be activated because it would be very bad for yeah. The I'm, world. I'm, I've got my own reasons too. Is that what is that what's in the book? Here's here's something I can actually tell you though. Velen actually is really bad, and she just wants to go. Everybody, all the Arcane Brotherhood wants to go like. Yeah, you know, great old magic. Right, yeah. right, of course, yes. There is a reason to go, and, and and this is one of the areas I can speak to again because I ran early chapters and then I've, I've skipped and I'm using Yithrin right now and I've read it just recently. Um, as written, if you can restore Yithrin to flight and you can use its weather-controlling abilities, you can end the Endless Winter in Icewind Dale using the weather-controlling abilities of the city. So it's a way of, of stopping Oral's curse without having to kill a god. Without having to fight her, without having to do anything with her. But you don't know that, right? You wouldn't know that going in. Uh, I, I, I don't recall the book. Like, this, your, this concern was, like, my biggest issue when I first did my first impression review. Um, so so I don't think there's any hint of that early on. But but it's in that chapter where it talks about that that the city is actually capable of, of fixing Icewind Dale. Right. There are things there, and- yeah. But this is why this is why my biggest advice, and in my last blog post, I said you have to read if you want to run this adventure, you, you have to read, read the whole book because you have to pull those clues out and give them to the players through the NPCs. Because if you don't, everything seems like a surprise, right? Yeah. So let's let's move on because Mike's. Yeah. Uh, 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 you can solve the, the endless night by killing a rock. I agree. That's because a god. Funny, but- a god can't. I can't get around that. Right. What like, I, I don't, I don't appreciate how we did that because she apparently can't fly without the rock. I think that's stupid, but like, it doesn't kill her. So if you, if, if, if you kill the rock and she's not gone, that doesn't actually solve the problem because she can just find another way to keep casting the endless night. But it doesn't say that in the book. I mean, we can make up anything we want, but there's what the book gave right. us. No, I, I'm, I, arguing, I I'm arguing about what the book gave us. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I know I, we're all smart. We'll all come up I, with cool ways. My, to on my it. notes, I wrote, I agree. This is Coral's a big chunk. Yeah, she's described as, quote unquote, the Frostmated is not some demon prince, vampire, lich, beholder, crime lord, or arch devil. She's a god and a cold hearted one at that. Okay, Who would you so, rather fight? Wait, hang on. Who would you rather fight at eighth level? Oral or a Sararak? So <laughs> I only half agree Rosario. with this. I only half agree with this, and the reason I half agree with this is – that I only half agree with it is by the time the party gets to her house and knocks on the door and goes in to fight her, okay, they should not be fully rested. Everything's great. They'll have been on her island searching around and finding all kinds of stuff, not getting a good rest, not being fully healed, not having all of their resources, right? And she can be devastating, and are they supposed to meet her at eighth level or seventh? I, I mean, if know. I if you said let down, me check the f- handy flow chart. <laughs> flow, chart. flow chart. Flow chart's not even in my my argument. Seventh seventh <laughs> level. Okay. So Se- seventh if level. If I if I told you, hey Sam, I'd like you to write the stat block for Oral, the Frost Maiden. Mm-hmm. Would you, would you come out with one that's challenge rating eleven with one hundred thirty six hit points? She has three stat I'm- blocks. <laughs> and and when one is killed, the next one immediately instantaneously arrives. Right. So it's not just a CR eleven creature, right? It's, it's, it's three three CR eleven creatures in sequence. Yeah. And and when one when one of them comes in, that's fully has all of its capabilities again. Right. I don't know if it says this in the book, but I would imagine that 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 even when, then it's not. Actually, oral is it? It has to be an avatar. No, it's her. But uh, if you kill her, I mean, it's it's her manifestation. So right. if you destroy it, she just comes back in the next midwinter. You don't actually kill the god. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't know if it actually. Uses what if you? What if you had run Zariel against your group at that point? How do you think that would go? Challenge rating twenty six. I, I know nothing about Zariel. She's so. badass. You should go check out her stat block. But do <laughs> they meet her at level at level seven? Uh, I don't. Wait a minute. Does the world conform to characters at whatever level they no, are? No, I'm not yes. saying. But we're, we're talking about <laughs> in the book. We're talking about a god. Is, she's a god. What's, 
But what's written in the book is they fight her when, she, when they're level seven. I'm just saying, right? Yeah, right. They decide we're going to throw the party up against a god at level seven. That's a bad idea. And as I, as, yeah. as I, as I recall, though, that, that it is not necessarily assumed that they're fighting Oral in that chapter because Oral is one of the things that comes back in Yithrin. Like Yithrin has the – at this point in Yithrin, th- these people show up and then Oral shows up. We can, we can all agree yeah. you're not supposed to be 19th level when you face her. Right. Sure. And that's about the level you should yeah. be facing a god. No, I, I, I do agree with you. That's why that's why my notes say I half agree with you. <laughs> right. it, it, I, it is it is poor. It's, it's a poor way to treat a god after saying, oh, right. you're fighting a, a goddess. A god. Especially yeah. after having this big, like, bold statement at the beginning of the book right. about how what a badass she is. And then she's yeah. telling him badass. Yeah. Uh, players have no idea what to do when they show up at Sunblight Fortress. Should they chase the dragon or not? You already mentioned that your group didn't know what to do. So yeah, I'm going to consider that but, yeah, but they no, I but I disagree because it's okay if they don't know what to do. They had to debate it. They had to come up with ways right. to solve this problem. And That's okay. You're gonna have to fix it if they decided to go into the fortress. I didn't say that. Remember, I said I don't know what I would have done. I don't know that I would have let them find a way to turn it off. It depends on what would have happened inside the fortress. I don't know. And then and not fixing it means they come out, they would have made the choice to go in to try to look for it. It's not there, and they come out and all of Ten Towns is destroyed. Right. Yeah. And I would have done that. If that had been my choice. Yeah. Uh, that, hey, see, that's hey, not, that's not trials in Yethrin. We get, we get wizard trials in Yethrin this time. I actually don't know much. No, that, no, but they're not like, the, they're not, they're not like the oral trials. The oral trials are BS. They transport people to some place and then it's totally fake. And then they come back and they're supposed to, you're supposed to make sure they know it's not a dream. And then it's resolved anyway. The trials in Yethrin are more like puzzle towers. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they're yeah. not they're not trials they're not like the trials of oral right. uh, if you don't like them that's fine i think they're fine I'm, i think I they think could I'm even be better but um I'm, yeah. i think i'm using where the machines wait by bruce cordell uh the shardalon dragon is the size of a giant house and yet has 147 hit points no it has like what is it 14 d12 plus 50 60 whatever right just because it average, shows the average, average <laughs> right. So it shows the average. So do you use average hit points for all of your creatures? If this is supposed to be like a like a chapter ending big bad, you're just going to use the average. Do you use your average hit points for your lich? I actually think I'm going to be using uh, one of the fantastic layers to do it because I think it'd be more fun to fight a thing like this from the inside than mm-hmm. it would be to fight it as a great big monster. Yeah. But, and that's uh, that's fine. I, I'm just saying, like, have you, seen, have you seen the miniature for it? But that but that's the standard 5e complaint is just that, like, it, it lists average hit points and, and the automatic assumption everybody makes is that that's the number of hit points it has. Right. Even though it, it even though it's ridiculous for for a unique creature to be like that. We also know that the standard uh, 5e complaint is when they made the CR rating tables and all that, they do it assuming no magic items, and we know that that's probably not true, right? So we know there are problems with that, but, you know, it's – it's it's. but the thing is also the Shardland Dragon as written, if you knock it down a few hit points, it leaves. You're not necessarily supposed to fight it until it dies. Right. It seems – Given given the buildup and certainly given the size of the miniature, uh, it would seem like it would be significantly more tough than having an average of 147 hit points. Just like Oral, it's like, well, the party's going to be this level, so what level are you going to make the dragon? It is a, it is a prime example yeah. of the world is conforming mm-hmm. to the level of the characters. Sure. Yeah, uh, which, and I don't like that. If you had written that, if you'd written that as one of your complaints, I would wholeheartedly agree with that. Okay. Consider that as what I wrote here. Yeah, right. Consider that my intention. <laughs> I, I lost number 15, so I only have 14. Okay, um, it says avalanche mechanics make no sense. You either mechanics. avoid them completely or you get crushed. I disagree that they make no sense. That In real life, avalanches are horrible natural disasters. They're extremely deadly to people. The save mechanics within the avalanche and the movement mechanics within with the avalanche, they work just fine. They're meant to be super horrible and deadly. You're supposed to avoid right. them. That's a feature, not a bug. But if you're if you it, they as written, I, if I recall correctly, you either are definitely caught in them, or you're not anywhere near them. Those are your only. No, features. you get a no, you get a save to avoid it if you're on the edge. If you're yeah, right in the middle, yeah, you get caught as it would be in real life. You're not a superhero that gets to suddenly jump 400 feet across the field of a of an avalanche if it's coming down directly on you. Now I lost my avalanche rules. You you have uh you also have one that you skipped about Sephic. Do you want me to read that one too? Uh yeah, I guess that I, I stuck it in a different thing, right? Yeah, let's read about Sephic. No guidance. Yeah, that's why I, that's where I lost my fifteenth. 
Yeah, the so adventure said, offers no guidance on when you should face Sefik Kaltrow, and he's likely deadly at first level character. Okay, Helene, the 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 person who gives them as written, right? And I didn't do this, so but as written, the person who gives them the quest tells them he's very dangerous. Isolate him. Make sure he's the murderer, and then deal with him without involving the authorities. Are you telling me that four or five first level PCs can't take out a CR three creature? I am pretty sure I could kill. 50% of the groups I face if I was running him against first level characters. He does 28 damage around. I ran that encounter for first level characters. I dropped half the party, but they won. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I bet you I could. I bet you if I was trying, I could wipe out at least half of the groups. Well, I stop being such a. <laughs> Remember, though, that they also the, the funny thing is they, when they, I argue hold this, on. They, they also might not be first level when they when they meet him because right. they yeah. could actually do their first quest and then be second level. Right. Yeah. And so I, I always got two arguments. One was, oh, sure, he's not so bad. He could be beat, beat at first level. And two was, you're not supposed you're clearly not supposed to fight him at first level. You're supposed to get it later on in the quest. And I'm like, wow, it doesn't tell me either of those things. <laughs> actually, it does. It it tells you that Torgas is traveling around. And so they, he might not be right where they are. And so if they go to go find him, you can go to the other towns. And it tells you in there when they go into the towns, you give them a quest. But then it makes a crappy cold opening quest. Like if that's your cold open quest uh, that you're supposed to start with and you don't get to it for three or four quests down the road, then it's no longer an opening quest. Well, now you know why I changed it because I, right. <laughs> I thought it was more interesting. I thought there were more interesting things. But uh, yeah. but if I was going to run it as written, I would actually not hesitate to give it to my first level party. Man, I'd, I'd kick it out of first level party with that. I mean, I, I'm just saying. Like, and I, I was right. Sorry, he does 26, 26 damage a turn, not 28. I, but that's, I don't have, that's more than lethal. He can, he can kill people with this putting my player. But see, that's the thing. When they talk to him, they can get clues about how dangerous he is. Mm-hmm. And how he's got cold resistance, and so he must be a chosen. And they could decide to leave him alone, and then come back. Like that's the whole thing about role playing is you can add information. We can, to we can fix all kinds of things they did wrong in the book. <laughs> you don't have to fix every adventure ever published, even the ones that are considered the best adventures ever. Your job as the DM is to Tune fix to it so that it's good for your for your table. There is it's it's really hard, as you know, because you've written some. <laughs> it's really hard to write an adventure that fits every single player's style or every single DM's style. Yep. I'm not saying the book is without flaws. What I'm saying is the majority some of the flaws that you call flaws, I don't call flaws. Okay. So we disagree on some of the flaws. But even the ones we agree with, it's so easy to fix them. Mm-hmm. So it's still worth my fifty bucks. Yeah, it's really interesting. And I, I think, and then, you know, can I rip through my accolades? Yeah, just read them off. I won't interrupt. Cold Light Walkers are cool. Null Vampires are, are awesome. I like Null Vampires. Yethrin and is is our full, first full taste of the Netherese, and there's lots of cool stuff going on there. It's got a pretty good primer on all of Ten Towns. It would have been a good gazetteer. The idea of Duergar, of a Duergar Shardalon dragon war machine is pretty cool. Uh, a god walking on Faerun is cool as a villain. Moose Jaws is awesome. Uh, the, a big whale that's like a submarine is cool. Grimskull is cool. The artwork is awesome, but the artwork is awesome in all the books, right? Like Descent into Avernus had crazy good artwork too. Uh, Foaming Mugs is a good starter quest. I enjoyed that one. The idea of hunting down a serial killer in 10 towns is cool. That's actually kind of an offhand one because you're not supposed to hunt them down, right? Like you just go get them. The hunt has already happened in the book. Uh, the Descendant is cool. Hey, yeah, here I got another. But only if you could tie it to the characters. Like on its own, it's kind of weird. Uh, it has lots of rooms to add your own stories and your own plot lines, right? I know both, both you and I did that. Uh, it has lots of room for us to integrate character backgrounds and connections into the story. I'm, you know, right. all, of those and things, so all of those things. And so I will posit that those last two points are exactly the reason why it's written as loose as it is. And all the things that you're saying above that are bad, a lot of them, not all of them, above are, that you're saying are bad, if they were spelled out the way that you're saying they should be spelled out, you wouldn't be able to say numbers 14 and 15 on your good list because they would be giving you a I don't very think that's true. I don't think that's true because I think they, you know, a slight change would have been we expect that you're going to start in Bryn Shander because it has a clear first level quest. However, if you want to start your group at second level, you could start at any other towns would have taken one sentence to do and would have made all of chapter one better, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 I do. I mean, it's just I also think that if they had taken 
half of the quests that existed in 10 towns, turn them into a paragraph or two instead of giving them a tremendous amount of treatment and then said, here are six main quests that we have for 10 towns. And then here's eight potential quests you could expand if you wanted to would have put resources that the book had in a much more focused way. Uh, very similar to how Dragon of Ice Bar Peak was. Uh, I think building a hunt for Sephic Caltro and having a thing like he's probably lethal at first level. You want to watch out, right? Mm -hmm. There's lots of like one sentence things they could have done to fix almost all of them. Well, and that, that's the gripe that we've had for the whole edition is that there's not enough advice and suggestions and that kind of stuff in any of the books, really. That's true. And the one the, and, and kind of my I'll make my final argument. OK, know. good, because you're 52 minutes. I know. in. I haven't had we, a turn yet. I know we <laughs> ate we ate we ate your entire turn. Um, <laughs> my final argument is I bet you. And so, Sam, what is your first favorite adventure? Take a guess. I'm going to guess Tomb of Annihilation. Yep. OK, so the interesting thing is Tomb of Annihilation is probably my second favorite adventure as well. So we agree on that one. And I mm -hmm. think all of the arguments that you made and all the arguments I've made against Rhyme, many of them could be made against Tomb of Annihilation. Mm -hmm. Only and I'm I, on that one side. <laughs> right. And I and I have I have the same responses to all of those arguments that Tomb of Annihilation has the big flaw with with te telling the players right away, oh, there's this death curse and yeah, this is very time sensitive. Right. Oh, right. now go, go off and around for racing. 60 days, yeah. right? Go, like go do some dino racing while yeah. people are dying. Yeah. And the thing, I guess my, my argument is like, when I when I, I know what the flaws of tomb are and I think they should have solved them, but I give that one a pass. The, Why? the difference is um, because I, I guess I like the rest of it better. Right. Okay. I like the theme of it better. And I thought that it served me better as a DM. The difference to me and what I realized about what makes a good and bad adventure for me is when do I have the option to change the adventure and the and the option to tune it around my group? And when do I have to do it? And both Frostmaiden and Descent into Avernus, I felt like I had no choice but to fix it. That if I tried, if I if I was going to try to run it closer to the adventure itself, it was going to go poorly. I wasn't going to like it. My group wasn't going to like it. And with Tomb, there were certain things with Tomb of Annihilation I felt like I had to fix. But it was like three things, and it was real easy. But what I just heard you say was... The reason that rhyme is a pain in the butt for you to fix is because if you don't fix it, it doesn't fit your table. And that no, means I, I have to fix it. I, I have to fix. There are many or, things where I, I feel like I have to fix it to make or it, it or or it won't fit your table. That's what I'm saying. Right. Right. If you don't fix those, if you run it as written, it's going to flop at your table. Yeah. That means you shouldn't be running that adventure with your player group. And there's nothing wrong Probably with that. Probably not. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. I honestly, got, because, if I could go back in time, I wouldn't have run it. Right. Not every yeah. adventure is for every single table. I mean, I didn't run Avernus. I chose not to. I didn't run uh, Storm King's Thunder, right? I you didn't, didn't run anything, have you, Sam? <laughs> you don't run any of the published adventures. No, I've I've run parts of several of them. Sure. I've run parts of Princes of Apocalypse. I've run I actually ran I did run, I guess, parts of Storm King's Thunder. I ran Tomb of Annihilation in full. I ran Rhyme of the Frostmaiden in full. I've played through Tyranny of Dragons and run a couple of different pieces of it. Like I, I've done enough. I, I, I actually ran um Out of the Abyss, okay? So there I, I have and I've read all of them except for Descent into Avernus, which I quit reading in that tells you how I feel about it. That's lower than Frostmated in my list. The three of us have such wildly different opinions about the published adventures. My point is just because a book or an adventure doesn't fit your table, even like if, because what I also hear is you feel like you're doing a lot of work to change it and it's still barely fitting, right? It's yeah. still barely fitting. I, I, and I'm, I'm fighting every week. Every week right. I have to do something. And I guess my thing is that doesn't every make little it, gotta fix. doesn't make it an objectively bad adventure, right? It doesn't. It, it no, has right. really and, and I stuff. think Yeah. If I, I like, I, you know, I think it will be interesting for me to do more research and say our other, cause like I said, I, I read a lot of people who ran the black cabin and some of them really liked it. I don't know about others. And you know, it probably it's very likely to be arrogance on my part, but I think the things that I am poking at with frost maiden, I think are objectively 
pro- they are objective problems. These are not subjective things. Right. You say that, but of your no. <laughs> fifteen of your fifteen bad things, I only agreed with about three of them. Right. So you're I'm already proving that wrong. Oh, you're not proving it wrong. They could, you could, you, you could, you could like them and work with them and get them to work. That doesn't mean they're good. And the the answer would be if we had 500 DMs who ran it and 380 out of the 500, it was a disaster. It, that, well, yes, but we don't have that data. So I no. would, I would suggest to you that you can't, <laughs> you can't make that statement just like I can't make that statement then because those things, the things that I, I disagree with, as a hypothesis, that's not backed up. Okay. So on your list though, I, it's, I'm not just disagreeing because I like the thing, right? The, the things that I am saying, I disagree with your, you know, your, your, the fact that you have a, a, a problem with it. What I'm saying is those things, if I also ran them as is, I could probably just make it work at my table because that adventure is right up my alley. And so a lot of those things that you're finding wrong, yes, I changed a lot of things in the adventure, but that's because that's just how I do it. If I didn't, I still wouldn't say that it's a poorly written, poorly designed adventure. I don't think it is. I just think it's not it's not clean enough for you, and also it doesn't match your table thematically or – you know, like the whole thing about the sacrifice. I mean, look, my party's response to the sacrifice is wildly different from your table response. If Remember, they, I have okay. I have two tables with two totally different sets of players. <laughs> same, same DM. Same DM, right? But I can tell you what their reactions are to it. They have very right. similar reactions. And, and, I, and I'm not. And here's the thing, right? I'm not saying my way is the best way, or I'm the only way, or anything. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is that we fundamentally disagree about certain things about this adventure. We can both be right at the same time because I don't think that it's, uh, or I should say, but I don't think it's fair to say that the adventure is objectively bad. Because you have things you don't like about it. It just literally doesn't fit your style or the way that your table likes to play. Or, or what he wants from an adventure. Right, right. The small problems that what I see as very small or what I see as a feature, not a bug, are going to blow up at your table and be huge problems you have to deal with. And now you have to add in these huge other components that aren't even in the book. And it's like, why did I even buy this book? Because I'm running this. I totally get that. I understand what you're saying. But what I'm saying is... I still suggest there is a, a a group, a portion of the population for which this is a great adventure and it's perfectly fine the way it is. And I'm one of them. So I'm going to tra- I'm going to transition us because this has been 58 and a half minutes of Mike and Sam yelling at each other. Uh, <laughs> as entertaining as that has been, uh but I'm going to point out that uh I feel similar to Mike in regards to both rhyme and Tomb of Annihilation, I got no interest in running either one of them. However, they both have wonderful pieces that I'm tearing out in my games, and that's why I ran the the dungeon at the end of Tomb in my current group. And my current group is currently sitting in the in the lost city of Yithrin. Uh, you know, and so I am getting value out of these books, regardless of whether or not I think the adventures and the stories that are within them are worth my time fixing. Um, so uh, I'm not going to talk very much about my, my, my gaming for a few reasons. One, uh, I went off to the beach for a week and missed two sessions. Uh, and so, um, that happened. Um, and, and two, uh, I have half of my group going off on vacation in the next few weeks. So anything I don't get the chance to talk about this time, I don't know that I'm going to do a lot of gaming until we record next time. So I can just save it and talk about it then. One thing I. So wait, 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 wait. Are you telling me that you. Missed the opportunity to play D and D on the beach with your boys. Actually, uh, we had uh, so we we played the one session of Gamma World a while ago. It was an it was a near TPK, um, and then instead of getting back into that, once my oldest came back from camp, um, we we decided to to switch into something else. And I and I because I wanted to play around with Dresden Files, the the Fate version of Dresden Files RPG, where you create the city. And so we created the characters and created the city as the city we went to, Myrtle Beach, uh, for our, our beach trip with the idea that then we can play in the place that we're at, right? Um, and, and so we did all of that and then took all the character sheets and the dice with us and then we were doing stuff. So we never actually played. Uh, but I have it and we've built it all. And so we might go and start doing that and just remember our time at the beach that way. So that's what happened with that. Uh, in terms of my, my adult group, 
Um, I think last time I was talking about, I was asking for advice on mass combat and both of you had the advice of don't do that, even though that wasn't what I, the question I was asking. Uh, and I told that to my players after we ran the mass combat, uh, and they universally said to tell you that you're wrong. Uh, they absolutely had a blast. <laughs> they loved the mass combat. Uh, it was a whole session of doing the mass combat while the PCs were off dealing with Gargoth himself, uh, and trapping him in the shield that would come up later when we played Descent. Uh, it all went brilliantly. They had a blast. It was a super good time. Uh, and then the next session, one of the players was going to be gone. And I'm like, well, the next session, depending on what you do, could be the finale of the entire campaign. And he's like, well, please don't do that. I'm not going to be here. So they decided to go hunt down this other champion of um, of one of the Dark Powers um, that was the Castellanter kids that, that lost their souls in Dragon Heist. Um, they merged together and, and turned into this giant two-headed dragon kaiju thing. Uh, and then flew off north. And, and, and I kind of had the, had it in my head, like, this will be a nice little touchstone to what they've done in the past, but they're going to have all the things they need before they hunt it down that I don't even have to worry about where it is and what it's doing or whatever. I kind of made, they were curious about it. So I kind of made something up about how it, it attacked, uh, never Winter and grabbed um, Never Ember, maybe. Um, and so, you know, uh, and then I figured it won't matter because they'll get to the end and realize it doesn't matter and, and not have to deal with it. And then this happened. It's like, okay, well, then the, that's what they're going to do in the meantime to delay the end of the campaign. They're going to go after this two headed dragon. So I'm like, I got to figure out where it is. So I stuck it in Yithrin. <laughs> I made some changes in Yithrin. Um, uh, and I can talk about that probably next time, but it's actually going fairly well. The changes I made, I think fit perfectly with what we're doing. Um, it turned out that it wasn't Neverember as one of his body doubles that was grabbed from the wall and kidnapped. And so they found this guy that they, I, I had one of them come up with the name. They asked like, what's his name? And I said, okay, you tell me, you know, pulled one of those DM tricks. Um, but in my head, he was always Gary. I don't know why he's Gary, but he, in my head, this body double is Gary. Uh, and so they were trying to save him. And and um, and actually, one of the characters teleported him back to Neverwinter, and so he could be back with his family, whatever. And then they're trying to figure out what's going on for reasons that I can talk about later. Uh, so, in many ways, I have skipped to the end of Rhyme of the Frostmaiden ahead of all of you, uh, and we can talk all about Yithrin, uh, but we can save that for next time because my, I guess, five minutes is up. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, I want to hear. <laughs> Because I, yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm rebuilding. I mean, like I'm rebuilding everything else. I think I'm going to be rebuilding Yethrin. I, I, I'm not changing changing much on Yethrin. Just trying to f- make it fit into my campaign because things are a little bit different. And there are some issues with Yethrin. Don't get me wrong. Like there's some logical fallacies. Like why doesn't the big bad lich guy in the city? Why is it that over the course of the last several hundred years he didn't just like do the thing with the obelisk that he knew how to do and he has the resources to do the entire time? Um, you know, whatever. Um, there are some issues, but I tweaked some of the lore and made it fit my campaign better. And um, and and the obelisk does something different for me anyway for campaign reasons. Um, so in any case, uh, yeah, I can, I'm really trying to figure out a way to have the end to to set up the ending of them teleporting to the past. I think that's such a cool ending. Oh. Yeah, and, see, and I, I want to do that, but I want to give them the agency to make that choice. Right, and and, and spoiler for next month, but uh, I, the obelisk for me is uh, has the ability to to combine the magic power of all the obelisks and kill a god, uh, which is why the champion of the dark power wants it because the 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 story I've told is that the or a building is that the dark powers have come to the world to kill off the gods and some of the gods and replace them. They want a, a seat at the pantheon, um, so that kind of makes sense. Um, but the dragon can't get into the tower to get the, the staff. And so he's bringing, he brought that human there to go do it for him, not realizing that the human was too inept to actually do it. But now the party's going to do it for him. So, but, but we'll, again, we'll, yeah. we'll get to that. Um, that's, yeah, I just, I just realized I should have put Asmodeus on my list and then I'd have another one to agree with, with Sam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's a little all over the place, isn't he? Uh, yeah. I, I do want to mention, because we didn't bring this up between Sam's time and my time, uh, that if you want to support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash the Tome Show. Over the summer, we have added uh, a few new patrons that I wanted to mention. Uh, Catherine, Jean, Frank, and Michael have joined the the patronage of the Tome Show and helped me pay the bills for the show and, and what it's doing. 
so thank you to the four of them. And then we have others that I'm supposed to shout out monthly. Uh, but we'll save that for another episode because um, it's been a long episode so, <laughs> of hearing Mike and Sam yell at each other. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for letting me air my grievances you know it's funny and thank been, you for letting thank you for letting me rebut all of them and, and i it's, Not fun, all of them. it's funny because really, incest couples are awesome more incest in future days. no i i i i my, well <laughs> so, agree, okay. that was so i only rebutted 13 out of the 15 okay but yeah um i gotta count all right so i'm gonna call that the end of the episode uh thank you everybody for for listening thank you those of you in the stream for joining us in the stream it's been fun having you there and chatting with you uh so sam thank you for being a good debate partner you're welcome thanks for bringing your points i i do agree with the majority of your uh with your uh things that you like about it too yeah so you know I'm, run, I'm running those cold light walkers next time. I'll tell you how that goes. They're, they're, I love those. Those things are freaky. <laughs> I've used them several times to just freak my party out. I, I have them come out and shine their light up on the belly of the white rock as Oral's flying over. Oh, wow. It's like a big beacon. Yeah, it really freaks them out. It's great. <laughs> All right. Say goodbye, guys. Bye, guys. Bye, guys.